You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com.
Hello, my name is Madi, and today's scripture passage is from Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 through 51, from the NIV. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household, to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant, whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word. Thank you, honey. We are coming to the end of our summer series through the parables of the Gospels that we've been calling the stories of Jesus. And for the next three weeks, we're looking particularly about the parables regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ and asking the question, will we be ready? Or specifically this morning, will we be found faithful. Let's pray together. Whether you're new, exploring Christianity, you've been a part of this church forever, let's pray together. Let's ask that God would speak to us and change us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but you have entered our world. You have done for us what we could never do for ourselves, by sending your son Jesus to live, die, and rise for us. And you change us from the inside out as we believe upon you. And we pray that today that you would transform us into men and women who are faithful in what you've called us to do. For those who are discouraged, would you encourage them today? For those who are going down the wrong path, would you turn them around today? that we all might be ready to give an account for our lives at any moment. Quicken us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, selling more than 10 million copies and translated in over 20 languages, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl is considered to be one of the top 10 most influential books in our nation. If you're unfamiliar with the book, Viktor was a Jewish doctor who actually survived the death camps during World War II. And what he noticed while he was there was that people lived in essentially three ways. We know they were horrific, terrible. Death could come at any moment. Some people became lawless. 
They stole, they were cruel, they exploited others. A second group literally gave up. They just collapsed, no hope. But there was a third group who became quietly heroic. They became radically generous and kind. They even made sacrifices in how they would treat other people in those camps. And what Victor noticed was this, what you believe about hope profoundly changes how you live in the present. And so this thought compelled him, and he says in his book, this phrase, live as if you were living a second time and as though you had acted wrongly the first time. And I turn the question to you, are we living as if we had acted wrongly the first time? And are we living as if we were living a second time? I ask the question to you because, of course, this actually becomes a reality when you believe in Jesus Christ. He gives us a new birth. He gives us the ultimate second chance when we believe in him. We get a new identity, forgiveness of sin, and a new destiny, which also means new opportunities in the present. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the true king of the world. He came first 2,000 years ago to provide salvation. And he will come again a second time to set the world right. And that means, friends, for all of us, that we must be ready to give an account for the way we've lived our lives. Are you ready? Here in Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew 25, Jesus tells these parables, short stories, that help us understand what it really means to live that out all the way to the end. And so we're going to spend the, the next three weeks looking at three different parables. Jesus has a lot to say about how the world ends and what will happen when he returns to remake the world. But I want you to notice that he always shifts the emphasis from what we might call end time events to end time ethics. See, the question is not only what does Jesus say about future events, but how should we live in light of future events? What kind of life will I lead if I truly believe that Jesus is coming again? Now, unfortunately, there are some comical ways that some people have spoken of the second coming, which have actually even tarnished the very teachings of Jesus. Let me give you an example. Even though Jesus clearly said, no one knows the day or hour of my return, there are some people who have taken it upon themselves to figure it out. They have these great Bible websites with like calendars and like really bad clip art. You know what I'm talking about. And they're like, I've discovered it. I've cracked the code. Jesus will return on the 23rd of August, 2023. It's like, really? Jesus said nobody would know, but you figured it out. <laughs> See, here's the problem with that, other than the comical nature of it. 
There are some who become so obsessed that they focus more on a calendar and less on their character. When the whole thrust of Jesus' teaching is about how we live in light of his return. So make no mistake, Jesus is clear, he will come back. We don't know when. We must be ready. And so the background to these three parables we're going to be studying is key. It's not on in our scripture reading, but let me read to you, verse 36 to 44. He says earlier in the chapter, concerning that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man. The two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Church, the words of Jesus are powerful. They're not filled with like inspirational thoughts or sentimental slogans like those cat posters you see in offices, you know, hang in there, buddy, like a little kitten. It's like you need to pay attention. These are timely truths about future judgment and future joy. And these truths come in the form of these short stories that teach us, to use Viktor Frankl's words, how to become quietly heroic in anticipation of Christ's return. Each story is about the return of Jesus Christ, but with a unique emphasis and invitation to how we should live now. And today we're asking the question, will you be faithful. Will I be faithful? Well, what does it mean to be faithful? Well, I want us to think about this under three headings. The first thing you need to know is that faithfulness is practical. This story that Jesus tells about the servants envisions two possibilities, two ways to live, involving one master and two different types of servants. Both servants do not know when the master will return to check in and find out how the servant is, is living and running the master's house. What will he find? What will the master find when he returns? Well, the positive example of the faithful servant is surprisingly practical. Verse 45 through 47 again. Who then, Jesus asks, is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions." Faithfulness is practical, which is an interesting point to make because 
when some people think about the world, you know, coming into judgment, Jesus Christ returning, there are some Christians who become escapists. They're like, Jesus is coming again. I'm buying land. I'm going off the grid. You'll never see me again until you see me in the new heavens and new earth. I know some people who, in light of the way that the world is going and knowing that one day Jesus will return, would love to, to live that, that rural life out in the middle of nowhere, like no interactions with humans. Some of you are like, this is basically my dream scenario that you're describing right now. It's why I bought my van. <laughs> we, we know you. We know who you are. They live as escapists, as if they're just putting their head in the sand. And yet notice Christ's instructions about how we should live are always so down to earth. What does readiness look like? What does a life of readiness look like? It looks like a servant who is serving in the master's house. That's what faithfulness looks like. That's what readiness looks like, feeding the household. The focus here is not looking up at the sky with an end times chart, but serving the servants at a dinner table. Or let me put it another way. Waiting for Christ's return does not keep us from service. It should motivate us for service. This is important. Because faithfulness in the Christian life is not only a matter of what you believe, which it is, it is also a matter of how you behave. Let me explain why this is an important point to make. There are some Christians who believe that it is merely enough to subscribe to orthodox Christian doctrine. You're like, I believe and, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I believe in the authority of the, the Word of God. They, they, they tick all the boxes. They believe all the right things, and yet they're not living like it. There are some who believe it's just enough. I read these books on theology, and yet I treat my family horribly. Or I'm not even around for them. Or I have no witness at work. I'm not engaged in my local church, but man, I know Greek and Hebrew. Well, there's an author in the New Testament named James, and he's got a lot to say about that. He says, don't just be hearers of the word, be what? Doers of the word. Don't misunderstand me. Right doctrine is absolutely vital. But what you believe must translate into how you behave to show whether you really have taken it to heart. In fact, that is the Bible's understanding of what it means to believe. It's not just an intellectual affirmation of something. It, to believe in something means it actually is, is reshaping you. We must be engaged in living it out. So practically, we need to ask the question, where should we be faithful? Well, the short answer is in your household, amongst your family within your church, your circle of influence, to be faithful around the people that you work with in your job, the neighborhood in which you live, wherever God places you. How are you to serve them? With both spiritual and practical substance. 
See, to be faithful means to be present and using what God has given you, fulfilling the responsibilities that he's given you wherever you are. Now, what does this mean for us practically? I want you to know, and I want you to be encouraged, that eternal significance is given to even the smallest tasks in the kingdom of God. One of my favorite verses, which you've, you've been in this church for more than a year, you've already heard me say it, but I love it. Jesus said, even if you give a cup of cold water in my name, I might even add a cup of coffee, right? Praise God for the men and women serving. The, they're doing the Lord's work in that lobby. Can we, can we get a hallelujah for the coffee ministry, right? <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> we cheer for coffee. If you give a cup of cold water in my name, Jesus says, it will not go without reward. Jesus says, I see that. You're serving someone else. Water in my name. I see that. The smallest task. Think about the church. I think about our children's ministry. The men and women who serve faithfully. That, that you don't see them on the platform right now. They're teaching the Bible. They're watching over your kids. Some of them aren't even teachers. They're just there to be present with the kids. There are some who show up early just to put the snacks out. And Jesus says, I see that. I see that faithfulness. There are those who are working in the middle of the week to put curriculum together, those who host small groups in their homes, or they prepare food for those to enjoy, or they pray for others. Jesus says, I see that. Even though it may not always be seen by others, Jesus says, not one single task done in my name, in my kingdom, will go without reward. Therefore, we must be faithful, even in the smallest of tasks. Are you a parent? Think about the way that you operate in your home. It is not always easy. But how can we lovingly and faithfully serve our children? In the workplace, function like a humble servant that you might be a witness of the servanthood of Christ in the place in which you work? Where has God placed you in your neighborhood? Seek opportunities to bless your neighbors. It could be here in the church. I mean, this is, after all, the, the household of God as we are gathered together. Love your brothers and sisters with the gifts that God has given you. Functionally, that means get involved. There are many of you who serve already. Some of you are, for particular reasons in this season, unable to serve. But there are some of you who do not yet serve. And my encouragement, my challenge to you is get involved. Serve. It doesn't have to be some showy opportunity. It can be anything. An opportunity to use your gifts to serve in the household of God. Not just wait like year in, year out. Well, I'm just waiting for the right opportunity. Like, hey, if you're alive and you have a gift, use it and get signed up. It's pretty low bar to, to, to serve. If you're a follower of Jesus, just get involved. I love the picture of the servant. What's he doing? He's feeding the other servants in the master's household. What a picture a practical faithfulness for you and for me.
What gifts do you have? Are you a teacher? Are you a leader? Do you have the gift of hospitality? Use that to bless others. Maybe you're a writer or an artist. Use your gift to serve others. Now, this does not mean that we are to run around frantically and never take moments or seasons of rest, but in season, as God gives us the opportunity and the ability, we are to be faithful. What matters now is that you are faithful. I think this is particularly pertinent for those of us who may be going through a dry season, a season where maybe you feel as if God is absent, even though you know that is never technically the case. It can often feel like it. That's why the psalmist even says, like, God, where are you? Like, what's happening? How come you don't hear my prayer? We might even call this a wilderness season. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. And some of you that are not there, you will go through one one day. Some of you younger people are like, what's that? Don't worry, you'll get there. You just feel as if like you're hitting a wall and you're thinking, wait a minute, maybe I'm looking for specific guidance and I don't feel like I'm getting it. Like, what do I do? Here's my charge. Remain faithful to what you already know you're supposed to be doing. What does the word of God tell you? Do that. Even when you don't feel particularly motivated, even when you don't feel particularly inspired, be faithful. Do what you know God has already called you to do, even in the dry seasons until he tells you otherwise. See, all of us, whether either you're the youngest in this room or the oldest, we have things entrusted to us by God with practical responsibilities, we must be faithful. Because you see, spiritual faithfulness always results in practical faithfulness. Jesus is the master, and he's looking for servants who will do his wondrous work in the world. Faithfulness is practical. See how much it means to Jesus. So much so, that there's a second truth you need to know. And that is that faithfulness is not only practical, it is essential. Faithfulness is absolutely essential. Being faithful in the responsibilities that Christ has given you is never presented as some sort of optional extra for heavy users of the Christian life. It's not as if when you become a Christian, you fill out a little card, and you're like, hey, would you like to become a Christian? You're like, yeah, I believe in the Lord Jesus. It's like, would you also like to add to your order, like being a faithful servant? And you're like, no, I'm gonna leave that one blank. <laughs> That's not a thing. It's not an optional extra. It is part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and it is essential because, as the parable sharply points out, we will all give an account for what we are doing and what we have done. The first servant is rewarded. The second servant is condemned. Why? Because he was unfaithful. More than that, he was wicked. Verse 48 to 51. 
But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The first servant was faithful, but there's another way to live, and that is to be lawless. Those who say to themselves, it doesn't matter. The master's not coming, at least not in any time soon. So I'm gonna use and abuse people for my purposes. And that's what this servant did. He exploited and took advantage of the master's absence. And he is greeted with an awful judgment. Now, some of you read that part of the parable saying, wait a minute, he's cut in pieces? Like, what in the world? Listen, as we've explained before with the parables, the scene here in judgment is not a literal description of what will happen in the final judgment, but it is a sobering metaphor for how awful eternal judgment truly is. And this metaphor that Jesus uses in this story is not random. He uses it specifically, why? because it mirrors the state of the servant. Listen, the servant was divided. And so he has a place with the hypocrites. Therefore, his judgment will be that he is divided. Do you see how Jesus is using a very specific metaphor? Just as he was divided in this life, so he will be divided in judgment. He will reap what he sows. It's sobering. And the contrast between the servants is not only between good and wicked, but also, as we'll see in the next few parables, wise and foolish. Ultimately, yes, the wise person is the one who honors God, and the foolish person is the one who dishonors God. But the point is that wisdom and folly work themselves out in practical ways. That's why we have the book of Proverbs, which contrasts the godly and the ungodly in strikingly practical terms. How you treat people, whether or not you are honest or whether you are a liar, whether or not you are kind or cruel, whether you are hardworking or whether you are lazy. As we learned last week, the wise builder builds his house on the rock of the truth of Christ. The foolish builder builds their house on sinking sand. See, a major point of wisdom in this parable is to be working in such a way that you are ready to give an account for your life at any moment. 
Because listen, tomorrow is not promised to me. Tomorrow is not promised to you. And there are some who are living as if they do not need to give an account for their life. Could that be you? I know for me in my younger years, before I became a Christian as a young man, my promiscuous living, all my horrible choices, I was making not thinking that I had to give any kind of account for my life. But rather, I was listening to the wisdom of the age, which is do whatever you want, doesn't matter, be true to yourself. But when I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, I was made aware of two things. One, I had to give an account for my life. And two, Jesus Christ has made a way for me to be found faithful. And that sobered me, and I was saved. Are you living as if you do not need to give an account for your life? If that is the case, you are not ready. But you can be if you turn and trust Jesus. There are some Christians who would nod their heads right now and say, yes, no, I, I, I know. And yet, it may be that even some of you who have trusted in Christ are actually living in patterns of sin. Do not be too quick to distance yourself from the wicked servant. We all need to ask the hard questions as to whether or not some of these traits are present in us. See, here's what's happening. The wicked servant failed to grasp the fact that his charge was temporary. His conduct was such that he was under the impression that his master's absence would continue perpetually. And that was a grave mistake. So what he's doing is he's using his master's absence as a license to sin. Instead of using what he has to serve others, he serves himself. In fact, all unfaithfulness referenced in the Bible is linked to thinking that there's no accountability. I say this because there are some who, they take God's perceived silence, God is never truly silence, but maybe they don't feel conviction. They take God's perceived silence as his approval. Meaning, you go out and you sin. It may be the case with some of us today. You've started a web of lies. Maybe you've been unfaithful in marriage gotten into pornography or substance abuse, or you've been stealing, like taking off the top at your job. And then the next day, there's no immediate judgment. There's no lightning bolt from heaven. 
And you take that as, well, I guess I can keep doing this. You're emboldened because of your internal calculation like the wicked servant was. Well, I've got plenty of time. The master's not coming. He's clearly not doing anything. So I'm going to continue in my pattern of sin, assuming that because there's no immediate judgment, you wrongly assume that it's fine to continue. But listen, friend, never mistake God's perceived silence as his approval. Because the Holy Spirit is often speaking. But it is very easy for us to harden our hearts and to tune him out and to drown out the powerful voice of conviction with the distracting voices of the world. If you are living in that pattern, are you really ready to give an account? Because that day may come sooner than expected. We should never use God's patience as a license to sin. It reminds me of this famous quote that one of the early church fathers, Augustine, used when he was describing his former life before he was walking with Christ. He used to pray, Lord, give me purity, but not yet. And how many of us have said that same prayer? Lord, deliver me from this addiction, but not yet. Lord, deliver me from this web of lies, but not right now. How many of us are in that place where we're saying, Lord, deliver me, but not yet? May the Holy Spirit convict and awaken us all and remove the last part of that prayer so that today we just say, Lord, deliver me right now. I want to be ready. I want to be ready for to continue in an attitude of habitual sin is to be in danger of walking in darkness. And that metaphor of light and dark is used often in the New Testament. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. To be surprised that Jesus is coming is to be in darkness about the whole of your life. And if you are a Christian, but you're in habitual sin, it puts a question mark over your life. In contrast, to be faithful is to live in the light, aware and ready. Because the hope of the second coming of Jesus should not make you lawless. It should make you more loving. There's an old story of Rabbi Eliezer who said to his student, be sure to repent exactly one day before your death. 
And his student said, how are we supposed to know the day that we die? He said, ah, all the more reason to repent every day. And I think there's wisdom. A continual attitude of repentance, knowing this last point, that faithfulness is possible. It's practical. It is absolutely essential. And what all of us need to know is that it is possible. It's possible for me, and it is possible for you to be faithful. See, this can all sound like one big test to pass or like an examination, you know, like maybe someone was like, oh, I don't know if, I, if I'm, am I gonna be rejected if I fail, but listen, these warnings also come with grace and mercy for people like the disciples of Jesus who literally failed him and betrayed him in his hour of need. And like it was with them, Jesus offers us mercy and forgiveness, which we should receive continually. See, the warning here is that we shouldn't remain in a state of unreadiness, knowing that continuing in such a state is an attitude of rebellion against God. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to love and to serve others. But listen, these are not stories that teach sinless perfection. They call us to readiness. Of course we will fail. Of course we will fall. But part of being wise and ready doesn't mean that you're always gonna get it right. But that when we discover that we're in the wrong, we are quick to turn from it. Look, as a parent, as a husband, as a pastor, as a friend, like, I fail all the time. But when the Holy Spirit convicts me, the question is, do I turn quickly? Or do I harden my heart? I wanna be the one who turns quickly. And the good news, friends, is that we can. We can continually be forgiven. We can continually be renewed and cleansed like Peter, one of the disciples who betrayed Jesus and yet was told these very words of grace and mercy before he ever did by Jesus in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, so that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus says, I know you're gonna fail, but I have prayed for you. And when you turn back, friends, that's the key phrase, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. We find the power to be faithful as we turn to the one who is ultimately faithful, and that is Jesus Christ. See, all of these parables must be viewed in light of everything else that Jesus said and in light of what he was about to do. See, Jesus is the master, and yet the gospel tells us that Jesus became a servant. He became a servant of all, all the way to the point where he would die on a horrible cross in our place 
for our sin so that we would not have to pay. And he rose again on the third day that we might be made right with God. Jesus stepped on that day into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made new, so that we could continually turn back to him and be made faithful. In other words, his faithfulness to us makes our faithfulness to him possible. It's as we continually rely on his faithfulness to us that we are changed. He's your savior who forgives you. He's your comforter who encourages you. He's your Lord who empowers you. He's your king who sends you. He will never run out of what you need. He is always calling you to turn back to himself. So this morning, if you have never done so, Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you will then be prepared to give an account for your life. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to save you. Trust in the finished work of the cross and in his resurrection, and you can know today that your future is secure. And if you are a Christian, ask him to show you in what areas you need to be faithful to keep being faithful, or to start being faithful. Maybe it is in your marriage. Maybe it is within this church. Maybe it is in your place of work or amongst your neighbors. If you're the one in that habitual pattern of sin and you've just been burying it, thinking that because the lightning bolt of judgment hasn't come yet, that you're emboldened to sin more. God is saying to you today, thus far and no farther. Confess your sin to him today, and you will be forgiven. You will be given that second chance. You can start over. But you must ask and turn to him. And if any of us have been unfaithful we turn back to our faithful Savior. And that is how we're made ready for our master's return. Because the reality of Jesus' return does not make you lawless. It does not make you legalistic. It does not make you lazy. It makes you loving. Like your master has loved you. So let's trust in his faithfulness and respond today. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray if there's anyone in this room or joining us online that's never put their faith and trust in you, we pray that right now they would realize that they are not ready to give an account for their lives. But that they would also know that the invitation has been extended to them that if they would simply believe and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they shall be saved. May they cry out from their heart right now, Jesus, save me. Father, for those in your church who are in those habitual patterns of sin, would you grant them repentance that they might turn today? 
that they might bring their sin into the light, confess and ask for forgiveness, knowing that you are faithful and just to give it, that they can start again. For those who are discouraged, God, would you put courage in their heart? For those who just feel like they're in that wilderness or dry season, it's hard for them to stay faithful. Would you, would you encourage them today prophetically and powerfully? We want to be those who are ready, waiting, watching for you to make all things new. May we respond to you even now. In Jesus' name, amen.